Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles if you haven't already. John chapter 20. We'll pick up in verse 14. Uh, We're at the tomb. Jesus is risen again. It's Easter in September, if you will, for us. Uh, The resurrection of Jesus. Uh, You know, really, it's too bad that the resurrection of Jesus gets so much attention in April, around time of April, which is good. We'll preach it. But really, as believers, we get to enjoy the resurrection of Jesus every single day. It's the very power of God within us that enables us to please him. And now we have Uh, Mary at the tomb, she turns around in verse 14 and she sees Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it says that it was Jesus. And so Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. This is a sweet dialogue that we've looked at in previous study, but it's worth repeating today. We have an example of Jesus, really an example for us as we're serving people and ministering to people, how we need to draw out from them what's deep in their hearts. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's giving her the the opportunity to express herself. This is not just a, a tear on the cheek kind of moment. Mary, we learn, was weeping. And the word literally means out of control. She was out of control emotional. Everything that, that, everything that she banked her life on, Jesus is, done, is gone. She watched, them, watched him die a violent death, buried in a tomb. And now that she's going to pay her respects, he's gone. She thinks he's been stolen or moved. And it's just like one thing after another after another. That's where she's at. One more thing to deal with. And yet, right in the midst of her pain, Jesus appears, but she doesn't understand who it is. And he's revealing herself one time. Now, some people wonder, why can't she understand? Why can't she recognize? Possibly tears in her eyes. That's a possibility. Like she's so completely lost it that it's hard for her to see clearly. But I think it's probably more along the lines that he is veiling himself for a moment to draw out from her this faith and this hope. Because we see him do that in another place in Luke 24. In Luke 24, he's with the men on the road to Emmaus, and their eyes were blinded, it says. They didn't quite understand who it was until over time in the conversation, Jesus revealed himself. And and so we know that that's the pattern. Jesus comes in a time of difficulty and and, and a tough time and speaks the truth to her. You you might look at this, verse 15, woman, you know, it's a stern word. Uh, although it's a word of endearment, why are you weeping and who are you looking for? That's a difficult question to ask someone that's been weeping because someone that's been weeping is hard to approach. I mean, if you look at it, if if you look at your life and somebody in the room today, perhaps even as we were praying earlier, someone in the room today, or they didn't even make it upstairs, they're down in the cafe and you could just tell they're, they're having a hard time. And maybe it's convulsive weeping or their head is down, they don't want to make eye contact. You know what our natural response to folks like that is? Normally our natural response is to avoid people like that for a variety of reasons. Not all bad, 
Sometimes the bad reasons, like I don't want to deal with it, and I don't want to. I don't know what's wrong with them. Why? Because you don't. Because you're not a crier. Someone that crying kind of is the opposite end of the spectrum for you, and you just don't want to deal with them. Or, and but it's not always bad. Sometimes it's just you know you you you're walking by them and they catch your eye, and then you you don't make the decision fast enough. Or it, usually we move forward unless you have the gift of mercy then you're naturally attracted to people like that. And you might be thinking, but Ed, no, no, not me, not me. I'm always seeking them out. That's good. You probably have the gift of mercy. Praise God for the men and women that have the gift of mercy uh, in the church. We need you. We need you more because it's a draining, exhausting gift to have to be involved in everyone's pain and suffering all the time. Here, Jesus comes and asks her the question, approaches her and asks her the question. And he speaks words to her that are hard. Asking someone why they're crying in the midst of their weeping can be pretty hard. And sometimes in our difficulty, you know, let's put ourselves now from taking the focus off of Jesus for a moment and let's put ourselves back on Mary uh, and, and say we're the ones that are going through a deep, dark time. You know, th- there are... There are times in our lives when we're in the depths of difficulty where we need someone to come to us and speak the truth in love. Or even just ask the question to approach the subject. How are you doing today? Or why are you crying today? Or get to the root of the issue because our human tendency when we're going through something is to search high and low for someone that will agree with us. Especially when we're sad, you know, come around, pat us on the back. Yeah, you know what? It's all their fault and you should be sad, so it's okay. And, you know, just kind of come alongside and take sides with us. But that's not always healthy. Because sometimes discouragement and sorrow can turn into self-pity. And when you're in the midst of self-pity, the last thing you need is someone to come alongside of you and encourage your self-pity because it's self-destructive. Now, I have to say, this is a gentle, this requires a gentleness and to be led by the Spirit because to speak the truth to someone, we need to learn to speak the truth in love. Not assuming we know everything, not assuming we have all the answers, but coming alongside to help navigate the rough waters of feelings. Because feelings can often lead us to bad decisions and unhealthy choices that will only make things worse. And, and the problem with feelings is, is they're so stinking real. But so often they lie to us. And we need someone to come in and say, hey, look, I know it's hard right now and it's difficult. I'm here with you. But let's sort through your feelings the way the Word of God does. Let's take our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to help walk alongside of you. Sometimes we refer to that as, well, in Proverbs 27, verse 5, it says, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Open rebuke. Or in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 23, it says, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterward than he who flatters with the tongue. And the idea behind the word rebuke is correction. It's not to get in someone's face and scream at them or you know get in someone's face and just tell them all the wrong things in their life there's no spiritual gift of rebuking okay so don't start oh ed just gave me permission to start my brand new ministry rebuking come to me for rebuking don't do that don't do that that's not this is a personal you know it's a time where you you just got to tell somebody the truth let the lord sort it out 
You don't have to convince them. You don't have to argue with them. Just share the truth with them and, and, and affirm God's love to them. And maybe a, a strong correction is needed that the Holy Spirit's going to do. So notice verse 16 now, back in John. Jesus reveals himself. He says, Mary. And she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. He reveals himself. Can you imagine the, the, the tone and the inflection of Jesus' voice here? It was just that word, and she immediately knew, it's, it's my Savior, it's my teacher, it's my Lord. And what a blessed revelation for her. And it seems, according between verse 16 and 17, that she grabbed a hold of him. And Jesus' response in verse 17 is, don't cling to me. Now, some have mistakenly used this verse, cling to me, to, to infer that Jesus and Mary had some kind of sexual relationship because the root behind the word has some sexual connotations in a different context. But there's in no way any kind of relationship between Jesus. I was talking to a sister last night. Even though a word might have a definition, context always drives the definition. So for example, you could say that, you can say that I love Colorado. And some of you, I'm not sure why, could say, I love the Broncos. <laughs> Just wanna make sure we're awake today. And then you say, I love ice cream. And then you say, I love God. You use the same English word, but I hope you have different meanings depending on where it, the context is. I hope your love for God is more than your love for Colorado. I hope it's a different type of, it's not, it's not the same meaning because the context is different. Well, it's the same here. This word in the context just means he, she grabbed onto him. I, I, I get the sense of an embrace. But let me show you another place. It's not the same Greek word, but it's the same thing that's happening. Turn over to Matthew chapter 29, or 28 just for a minute. If you try to turn to 29, you won't find it. Matthew 28, because there is no Matthew 29. So Matthew 28, we see another uh, example. It's a different Greek word, but it's the same thing that's happening. Uh, in Matthew 28, verse 9, it says, And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So here's a group of ladies that are holding him tightly. Here's Mary Magdalene probably embracing him and giving him a big hug and Jesus says, don't cling to me because, and I, I think that the emphasis here in verse 17 is in the verbs. Don't cling to me, but go. The, the emphasis is, Mary, as much as you're happy to see me, you still have work to do. Don't cling to me. Spread this message that I'm alive. Go back and tell my brethren that I'm alive. And let go and move forward. Let go and move forward. Tell him that I am not yet ascended to my father, but I will, I'm going to, but I haven't yet. And it would bring great encouragement as we see in verse 18, she immediately obeyed. Immediately obeyed. Verse 19. 
Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week. By the way, church, what's the first day of the week? Mark that. Just might want to jot it down. First day of the week is Sunday. When the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Peace to you on the same day and evening. They're gathered together in in a room because they're afraid of the Jews and This is a a great place to pause and talk about something that I've taught in depth in previous studies, but I want to just touch on it today because it's an important phrase, that first day of the week, they're gathered together. The early church seemed to gather together always for worship on the first day of the week. What day of the week did Jesus rise again from the dead? The first day of the week. He rose again on Sunday. And because he rose again on the first day of the week, it seems that the worship, the central focus of worship for the Christian church, both Jew and Gentile now, is on the first day of the week. Even in the early church, the early believers were Jewish, and they began to gather. They they gathered together on the first day of the week. And I say this because people will come around and question things. And one of the questions that will come up is something like this. When, and it's trying to trap you, but they'll ask something like this. When did Christians change the Sabbath? Or why do you worship on Sunday and not Sabbath? Or Sunday is the mark of the beast. And you laugh, but that's a popular teaching in some groups today. The answer to the question, when did the Sabbath change, is it didn't. The Sabbath is always, to the Jew, Saturday. Sabbath is always Saturday. Remember, it, the Sabbath was a sign of the covenant that God made with the Jewish people, not the Gentiles. And even though there are those today, like the Jehovah Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, that adhere to Sabbath-day worship, some claim that Sunday worship is forbidden. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, we had fun last night because the room was filled with people last night worshiping on Saturday. So if somebody comes to you and say, you know, you go to Calvary, yeah, well, you guys worship the beast. What? Yeah, you worship on Sunday. And then for the Saturday night crowd, I can say, you, you can tell them, no, I'm, I worship on Saturday because I go to Saturday night service. Because the Bible says that you can worship God on any day of the week. Well, we don't have a, just a Sabbath day but rather we have a Sabbath God. You see, the Sabbath was a shadow. It was a shadow of the coming perfect rest that will be given to us by Jesus. Because what does he do when he comes into the room? Peace be to you. And you see both in Acts chapter 20, you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, examples of the church meeting on the first day of the week. 
Again, I put this, I did this in depth. So you can go to calvaryaurora.org, up in the search engine, you can put Sabbath. Just put that word and the Bible study that, that we taught on that topic will pop up. But enough for us today. You see them gather together. It happens to be the day that, they resur- that Jesus resurrected. It's in the evening. They're gathering together. They're assembling. They're assembling because of the fear of the Jews and, and they're worshiping. Jesus shows up right in the midst. The Sabbath day was a day of rest and a shadow pointing to the rest that was brought by Jesus Christ. So don't let anyone judge you on what day you worship God. Romans chapter 14 verse 5 says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Shadows are interesting because shadows are cast by someone or something. The shadow is not the someone or something. Like a photograph, like a picture. You know, when I'm traveling, I have my phone with me, and as I'm praying uh, for my family, or I just want to rem- remember my wife or my kids, I'll pull a picture out. And there it is, it's right on my phone. And it'll bring me comfort, and it'll bring me a great memory, and, and then when I come home, when I come home, and I walk through the door, and Marie wants to greet me, or she wants to give me a hug. I said, no, no, babe, I don't need you, because I have your picture right here. <laughs> and then she's going to be like, whatever, dude, and she'll walk away. But, but if I did that, she's like, you're crazy, what are you doing? Because when you have the real thing, you don't need the picture. And when you have the real thing in the fullness of the new covenant, the types and the shadows are fulfilled. And you can still have that if something, if, if, if the principle of the Sabbath is still with us, the principle of rest is still with us, the principle of working six days and resting one, I mean, God is wise, infinitely wise, that, that it's not God's will for you to work seven days a week, 24 hours a day. It's just, you work your, yourself into the ground. You need to rest. But the reality of worship is you can worship on any day and the church seems to set the pattern in the New Testament of worshiping on the first day of the week. So he comes in, he shows them their hands and his side, which must have been a trip. Uh, it must have been an amazing sight. And, and, and their response in verse 20 was, they were glad. And he breathes on them. We'll get to this in another study. But he breathes on them. And this is where they experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit to take residence in their life. And then he gives them authority to teach and to spread the gospel. He's not giving them the authority to forgive sins like God can, but rather to insert the gospel and the good news into difficult situations. And we'll look at that in another study as well. Now, verse 24. But Thomas called Didymus... One of the 12, mark these words, was not with them when Jesus came. Well, that's a bummer. He missed out. He wasn't with them. The other disciples therefore said to him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, notice what he says, I will not believe. And this is one of the places where we learn, Thomas's, we learn that Thomas is actually his middle name. His first name is Doubting, unfortunately. How would you like to have that first name? You know, it's just kind of a bad rap. I don't know that he's a doubter as much as he is one of those people, and you have them in your life, that simply needs more evidence before they believe. 
So I'm not going to believe you guys. I want you to prove it to me. Show me. Give me evidence. And you might be that way today. You're just one of those guys, one of those gals, that evidence means everything to you. Well, I've got good news for you. There is enough evidence in the scriptures and in this room for you to believe. Whatever question you ask, whatever skepticism you might have, there's an answer. You know, a few years ago, Josh McDowell, uh, a very prolific Bible teacher and author, uh, he wrote a couple books just for this reason. Um, one was called More Than a Carpenter, and another one was Evidence That Demands a Verdict. They're not very popular today, but they are golden. You should grab them if you need to, and it'll help you in ministering the gospel to people. And just recently, uh, I was uh, watching that brand new movie, A Case for Christ, which chronicles the life story of a man by the name of Lee Strobel, who is also a prolific author and Bible teacher, and it's his life story. Uh, he's, he was a, uh, a news reporter, very liberal uh, and very much into the evidence and very much kind of like an investigative type of reporter. And his wife got saved at Willow Creek Church in Chicago and brings the gospel back in. And he refused to believe. He refused to believe. He refused to believe until one of his coworkers challenged him to use all of his investigative skills to examine the facts. And he went on that path to examine the facts. And wouldn't you know it, God had enough evidence for him. And he committed his life to Jesus Christ. And because of that, that conversion, the book Case for Christ and Case for Faith and Case for Grace and all of the other books he's written have blessed literally millions upon millions of people that are just like him that need more evidence. And so if that's you today, we don't judge you. We commend you for not just buying everything hook, line, and sinker and saying, well, I'm just not going to believe it because, you know, the church is this and the Bible is that and, and, you know, the Bible is just written by man and all those things. Believe me, I've said many of them myself before I got saved. But if you give an honest, if you come to God honestly and openly, there will be enough evidence for you. I promise you that. I assure you that. That God is no joke. And Christianity is no game. God, he loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you and your own failures. Because you know, if you examine your life, you see failure. You may not call it failure because that's kind of a hard word to use. You might say, yeah, you know, I've made a few mistakes in my life. I, I know, I know. People that love you know that too, that, that are close to you. They've seen those mistakes. They've experienced the pain and the consequences of those mistakes or failures. I mean, if you, can, if you can agree with me that you've made a few mistakes, then, then I'm just going to take you one more step because what you call mistakes, what we call mistakes in our relationship with each other, God calls sin. That's really what the essence of that word is, sin, failure. Really, the word sin is actually not as scary as it seems because the word sin comes to us from the, from the, term, from the archery world, you know, bows and arrows, and, and it literally means to miss the mark. So, you know, you're pulling back an arrow, and you're shooting it, and you're shooting it at a target, and you're going for, you know, it would be like me, because I've tried this. Uh, when I visited uh, Pastor Dominic in St. Cloud, they let me, they put a bow in my hands. And, and I remember pulling it back, and I didn't just miss the mark, man. I missed the whole thing. It just phew, went right over, which is pretty 
you know, descriptive of my life before Christ. I missed the whole thing. And a lot of people, unfortunately nobody got hurt <laughs> from that, but a lot of people got hurt from, from my missing the mark or my sin. But the good news, because if you can admit that you've sinned and just kind of get to that place, so yeah, I've sinned. You may not call it sin. You're like, yeah, I made mistakes and yeah, I failed. Okay, then the good news about that admission is that God has made a remedy for sin. He, he's, he's made a remedy for that failure. Because what God requires is perfection. That's what he requires. That's his entrance, that's the entrance ticket to heaven, perfection. So if you've made one mistake, then you have no entry into heaven. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we didn't just commit sin, we actually were born into sin. Because you guys, some of you are familiar with the Bible, you may not be, but the Bible opens up with a couple. Actually, it opens up with God, in the beginning, God. And as he's going through the creative process, as God created the world in six literal days, rested on a seventh literal day, in the midst of that, he created two people, human beings, in his image. Adam and his wife, Eve. So they're pretty popular. They get made fun of and they're in commercials and stuff, but they're real people. That, that's, why, that's why the world likes to make fun of things that are in the Bible. Because if it wasn't real, there'd be nothing to make fun of. There'd be nothing to belittle. So Adam and Eve, they were given this authority in a garden, in a pristine world that God created. And, and they were given authority. They enjoyed God. They enjoyed it. And they were just given one thing to avoid. They're just one thing. Don't make this mistake. Don't make this failure. Don't sin, Adam and Eve. And that is, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. You can have everything else. Just don't touch it. And there's a temptation that comes, and that temptation is, is bought into, and what do they do? They take of the forbidden fruit. So you get that phrase, the forbidden fruit. There's a lot of things that are forbidden by God in life. And a lot of folks take of the, that which is forbidden. And that failure on their part, sin, alienated them and separated them from God immediately. Now, God, he forgives them. They're able to have relationship with him, but now they've been touched by sin, and they can't be untouched. So when Adam and Eve, two sinners, procreate, do you know what they create? Little sinners. And on and on and on and on. It's hard to believe that that, that sin nature has been passed down all throughout the ages, but it has. And you can see it in your own life as you look in the mirror of the weakness of our lives apart from God. But because of sin, God sent the remedy, forgiveness. You don't have to walk around with guilt and condemnation on, on your shoulders anymore. You don't have to run away from God. You don't have to try to hide. You don't need to drown yourself under those pain pills. You don't. You don't need to drown yourself in alcohol and just kind of veg out in your house. You don't. You don't need to respond in anger. You don't need to cower in fear. God, he wants you to live what's known in the Bible as an abundant life. Now, an abundant life isn't one without pain or sorrow or difficulty, no. But an abundant life is one of faith and strength. And so with Thomas here, I, I don't like him getting a bad rap because he's like just about anyone else. You want more evidence? God will give you more evidence. But you have to be honest about it. Don't be one of those guys that say, I want more evidence. And then when you give, get more evidence, you go, oh, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. That's not being intellectually honest. 
Let's, let's be honest about it. Let's be honest. Well, you know, the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. I think it was written by men. Well, man, let's spend some time and talk about that. We don't have time today, but if that's really your question, email me. I'll send you a small article that you can start chewing on. Do you know that we have more manuscripts and partial manuscripts of this 2,000-year-old book, besides the Old Testament, than we do of Shakespeare? And I don't think you doubt Shakespeare. Well, I don't think Shakespeare. I don't believe in Shakespeare either. Well, then you got a big problem, all right? Because the reality is, is if you're honest with God, he's going to be only honest with you. How do you know that? Right here, keep reading. Oh, Thomas, because you're unbelieving and doubting, God's going to skip over you. Verse 26. After eight days, his disciple was again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And then he said, who is he talking to now in verse 27? Hey, by the way, Thomas, knucklehead, the one that doesn't believe, the one that needs more evidence, and he just slams his hand in his face. How's this for evidence? No way. Reach your finger in here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand in here. Put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Wow. Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have seen yet and yet have, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Instead of looking at Thomas as a doubter, I'd like to point out that he's just one of those guys that needed more information. And the thing is, in this first, in verse 24, that phrase was not with them. He really missed out not being with the disciples. We don't, we don't know where he's at, what he's doing, but he really missed out And it reminds me of the gathering together that we have as a church family. It's really important that you be together with other believers. It's really important that you're there. It's really important that in the church you're a part of, whether you're visiting here today and you're a part of another church or this is your home, it's really important to be with the saints. It's so important. The Bible commands us in Hebrews chapter 10 not to forsake the gathering of the saints. It's so important. It's so important that you come together and be encouraged. It's so important that you're reminded whether you're a church of 10 or a church of 10,000, it's important to come together and worship together and and just just be in the atmosphere. It's important that you're here. You can exchange your, you can use your spiritual gifts. It's important because God probably has a word for you. There's, There's some people watching online right now that just didn't have enough strength to be here today. And it's good that you're connected on technology, but the reality is, is technology doesn't replace gathering together. We're going to use technology. This church, you guys, you know, we, we maximize the best that we can technology. And, and we, we want to, and we will, and we'll continue, because that's our world is technology, man. That's, that's what we're into. But, but we're still people. And people need people. And it's important to gather together. Because you may just miss something if you're not here. Now, I know you can listen to the podcast later, but if you listen to the podcast later, you're going to miss, some of you would have missed the touch of the Holy Spirit today just by responding to that anxiety thing. You would have missed it. I don't know where you would have been. We don't know what it might have been. And it's not like God's going to abandon you because eight days later, he shows up to Thomas. So it's not like he's going to abandon you. But we used to sing a song way back in the day where one of the phrases said, 
something like, you'll be blessed because you came. You'll be blessed because you came. Whether it's the songs, whether it's just getting out of the house, whether it's opening a Bible, whether it's somebody praying for you, whether, who knows? But you'll be blessed that you came. I'm telling you, this happens more often than not. Sitting down with someone, or maybe after a service, somebody comes up and they begin to share what's going on in their life. Uh, You sit down with them to open the Bible with them and they're, they're sharing what's going on. About five minutes into the conversation, you have to stop them and say, were you in service on Wednesday night? No, I wasn't in service Wednesday night. I was working. I was, okay, the, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to go home, and you're going to watch the service on Wednesday night, because the service on Wednesday night actually answers everything that's on your heart right now. And they go, okay, that's kind of weird, but I'll do it. And you go home and watch the service, and by the time you're 15 minutes into it, you're like, you know what? The Lord spoke. And, and, and it could be that you weren't in service on Wednesday because you didn't want to be. And God had a word for you, and you just weren't here. Now, I know there's a lot of competition uh, for our time and attention. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, But fortunately, we're a fellowship family that has multiple services, multiple opportunities, small groups, things that you can get together with other believers and know that you don't want to be like Thomas Thomas totally missed out and had to wait another eight days of unbelief. He was doubting all those times, all those eight days, until finally it's like he did want to believe. And the Bible doesn't even say that he did put his hand in. It was enough to be asked to. I mean, I think I'd trip out on that. I think I would just be blown away. Like, yeah, go ahead and go ahead. It's almost like in a gentle way. You doubt? Here's my hand. You doubt? Here's my side. I mean, what a night. And the Lord's so gracious. He'll always come a second time. And, and I like what he says in verse 29. Thomas, because you've seen me, you believed. And then he says this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know what he's talking about there? You and me. We're included. Because we haven't seen the risen Christ. We weren't there. We weren't even alive. And yet we still believe. So blessed are you, Jesus says, that haven't seen and believe. You have a little bit more faith than Thomas. So when you get to heaven, just go up and talk to him about it and say, hey, Thomas, I know, man, I'm sorry for calling you doubting all those days, but you know, I did have a little more faith than you because I believed when I didn't see. That's the definition of faith, and we'll get into that. That's a big underlying theme of Hebrews, which is going to be great. Verse 30, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe and that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of John that we looked at when we first started years ago, the whole purpose is that you you have somebody in your life that doesn't believe, you have somebody in your life that's on the edge, you have somebody in your life that you want to give a Bible to, well, write them a little note and say, read the book of John. Why? Because John was written so that someone might believe and have abundant life. That's the work of the Gospel of John. So Father, as we uh, close our hearts down uh, after this Bible study and just kind of chew on the little lessons that you gave us, um, we just pray for your Holy Spirit to make them come alive and that we might grow in your grace. And, and again, God, we present ourselves to you with the, all the anxious thoughts and all the oppression, all the difficulties, all the concerns and worries, Lord. We cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And the, 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 the reality and the, 
especially, Lord, I just have a burden right now for, for those that, that are, that are um, just oppressed because they can't control a situation. They really can't do anything but trust you. Would you comfort them today? Would you give them the strength to wait? Uh, the strength to hold fast, Lord? The, your word says that no one can snatch them out of your hands. Even though it feels like that, nobody can do it. Nothing. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So pour out your love upon us as we head out that you might be glorified in all things in Jesus' name. Amen.